Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and today I'll be chatting with actress and producer Andrea Evans about the powerful documentary she produced called Rocking the Couch, which showcases the rise of the Me Too movement, which in turn raises awareness for sexual harassment and sexual assault in Hollywood. And this documentary goes back to the very beginning, to the first recorded case of sexual harassment in Hollywood that dates back to 1927. So this is how long this stuff's been going on. Um, I was fortunate enough to actually watch the documentary. It's a pretty powerful and straightforward documentary. Uh, There's nothing really too fancy about it, and we even touch on it in the interview. It wasn't made to be you know, this flashy cinematic masterpiece. It's very gritty. It's very real. And I think what I like about it, you know, just as much as anything, is that it is very straightforward. It doesn't, you know, overly dramatize anything. It's strictly, these are the facts, this is what happened, and this is what's going on as the result of it. So I really enjoyed seeing it, even though I did get a little uncomfortable at times watching it, because there were a lot of things in this documentary that I didn't even know about until I actually watched it. And, you know, I am very, very surprised. And I give all the credit in the world to everyone, you know, all the women. And there was even, you know, a male at the end of the documentary who came forward and told their story about being sexually harassed or some of them even worse than that. Because I'm sure as difficult as it was to actually experience something that terrible, it had to have been almost as bad to relive it and tell it in front of a room of strangers. So I give them all the credit in the world for having the courage to step forward and tell their story. But it's a really powerful documentary. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Rocking the Couch. You should definitely check it out. But before you do that, here is my interview with Andrea Evans. So I'm joined with my very special guest this week, actress and producer Andrea Evans. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I've actually been looking forward to doing this interview, you know, ever since it was set up because it deals with a topic that, you know, I never thought that I would discuss on this podcast, but we'll uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But I wanted to get you know, just a, a quick background uh, on you. Like where are you from? Where did you grow up and what was it that it kind of drew you into the acting business. Well, I um I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and um, I was just one of these people. I always knew what I wanted to do, and um, the business almost kind of found me, even out there. You know, I found agents very early. I've been in the business all my life, basically since I was ten, and um, you know, then production started being done on location in Chicago and in Illinois, and I started working, and from there. Some people in New York at ABC's One Life to Live saw my work, so they flew me out, and then I started there. And, you know, things have just kind of, you know, snowballed since then. I've always worked, and it's a business I love. What is it, a certain thing that drew you into the acting business? Because you said from a very early age you knew it was what you wanted to do. But was there, like, a certain thing that drew you to it? I don't know that there was a certain thing. It's just I always knew, like, anytime anybody would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I said I wanted to be in TV and movies. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I, even to the point of, like, I remember when I had Barbie dolls when I was a little girl, 
I remember very distinctly on Saturday morning TV or something, they ha- they showed a Tarzan movie. So I tied some thread on the knob on a, on a lamp, on a table lamp, and had um, Ken swinging from the, the thread like he was Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I reenacted the movies with my Barbie doll. Um, it's just always what I wanted to do. I'm sure a lot of people would love to be able to say that because I know people that, you know, are even older than I am that still don't 100% know what they want to do. So it definitely makes the career choice a lot easier, it sounds like. I know people that are older than I am and have never been happy in what they do, (laughs) which is unfortunate. So, (laughs) yes, no, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. For sure. So, you know, after being in the acting business, you know, for as long as you have been, uh, you produced a documentary that I recently had the pleasure of watching uh, called Rocking the Couch. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about it, how did you find out about this project and what made you want to be involved with it? Well, I didn't find out about it. It was like um, what happened was uh, one of my best friends is Min Collins, who's the director of the project and one of my fellow executive producers. Uh, he directed me in a film about uh, seven years ago, a film called Hit List. And um, we've been fast friends ever since. And so we were um, having coffee together, as we are wont to do sometimes. Um, and um, the whole Harvey Weinstein thing and Bill Cosby thing were kind of coming to a head. It was on the news constantly. And, and we were just talking about how we didn't think the full story was out there and that somebody was going to make a great documentary about it. And then we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, well, you know, Let's do this. So we did. Within two weeks, we were starting to film. Within two weeks, that's pretty crazy. Now, it's interesting because you you think, oh, well, I have the means to do this, so why don't I do it instead of someone else? Yeah, it just dawned on us to do it, and uh, we just kind of threw ourselves into it, and um, which is great. And you know, and also the idea was to to kind of not take our time with it. I mean we didn't want to make it perhaps the most artistically beautiful movie, you know, that anybody's ever seen or whatever. Our idea was to make a good movie as good as we can make it and get in there and make it fast and dirty so that it was still topical at the time that it came out. You know, we wanted to, we wanted people talking about it while people were still talking about the me too movement, still talking about what was going on because you have no guarantee of what's going to you know, go on. But the whole idea of the rocking it, we wanted it to be, we wanted to rock it while it was still a topic of conversation. Well, it's one of those things that it's not meant to be an artistically, you know, stylish film. It, it's about a very, I'll say controversial is part of it, but it's a very polarizing topic. It's not meant to be a visual masterpiece. It's meant to talk about Correct. a very real thing. So I, I, from watching it, I thought, you know, it was, it, it very much conveyed that and something that, you know, I think impressed me about it was that it was presented very much in a way of a very basic, straightforward, this stuff happened because you guys researched the facts on it. And it was presented as this happened and this is the result of it. Right. Yeah. We wanted it to be factual. We wanted, but we wanted it to be hard hitting so that when you heard these stories, because a lot of these stories are really heartbreaking and heart wrenching and and you hear about bravery and you hear, you know, some brave women and the, some women that were horribly abused. And, 
you know, we wanted you to not be caught up in, in a bunch of other stuff other than just hearing the truth. Right. And I guess where I wanted to go with next is when you guys decided that you wanted to do it, you know, what came next? Like as being the, the executive producer, what was your role with the project? Like what, what were, what did you do during it? Well, um, I mean, I was there for pretty much everything except for the editing, you know, um, my part that I brought to the project is I brought a lot of the, the people to the project um, to come talk uh, uh, about the subject and their experiences. That was a lot of it. I brought to them because my husband had told me about the story of the Wallace K case, which took place in the, in the 1990s, which I had not heard of. And he had. And what piqued my interest about that is, whoa, wait a minute. I was an actress here in Los Angeles in the 1990s. Why hadn't I heard about this? Why didn't I know about this story? And so that very quickly became sort of the centerpiece of our story. So that was a big part of it. And then um, also a lot of my part in it is what I'm doing right now. I'm loaning my name to to bring press to the project, you know, so it gets the attention it deserves. I hadn't really heard about that story either. And it was surprising, you know, as I was watching the documentary that a lot of the stuff, you know, I had never heard of. And you guys even touched in the beginning going back to the very first recorded case of sexual assault in Hollywood that goes back to the 1920s. So it had been going on for a long time, and then, you know, through the rise of the Me Too movement and things that have happened with, you know, Harvey Weinstein, with Bill Cosby, it's much more of a... There's much more awareness to it now, it seems like, than, you know, back in the 90s or even before when... And it's even touched on in the documentary that people were afraid to to come forward because they were afraid that, you know, it would hurt their career. Oh, absolutely. People are still afraid to come forward. I mean, I was trying to, well, I believe very much in, in diversity in film and, and we have a, a good amount of it. We have it, you know, one of our, our director, one of our executive producers is an, is an Asian American man. And um, just by the fact that I'm a woman producing, I believe only 8% of producers are women. Um, and our third producer is a Latino. We have a Latino lawyer. Um, I, I mean, that is on the, the documentary. Um, but I really reached out to a lot of my African-American actress friends and a lot of my gay male friends, because I know it's a big problem in the, in the gay segment of the industry, and nobody would talk. That's pretty crazy to think so, about. Yeah, and I think because, you know, they already have a harder road and this was brought up to me by another journalist somebody else I was talking to and she said that's probably because african-american women and gay men have to work that much harder to begin with that they're even more scared which which really makes sense so I think people are still and, and it wasn't even just them there were plenty of other actresses some white actresses everything that when I asked them to talk they didn't want to do it because they and there was one actress I remember who concealed her identity in the documentary because she wanted to tell her story, but you know, she didn't want to reveal her identity, which was, you know, completely understandable. But I I give major credit to those who came forward and, you know, told their story because it it had to, and is, it had to have been painful for it to actually happen, but then to relive it and telling the story takes a ton of courage. Well, and you also, you asked what my role was in this. And, and one of the things I very much wanted to do, since most of the people we interviewed were women, 
um, I wanted to be there in the room for them. I didn't want them to have to tell a room full of men. I wanted them to to have somebody they knew that could could somewhat understand and 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 be there for them. It was very important to me that I be there, and hopefully that helped them with telling their stories. Because, like you said, I I give them all the credit in the world for coming forward and telling their stories. Even our our female cop that, as you know, was had to go undercover as an actress in in this famous Wallace K case, or not famous, hopefully now famous. Hopefully people are paying attention, and um, her courage to put herself in that position because she in a way became a victim as well. So, you know, these women are very courageous. For sure. And that, that was one of the, I don't know if cooler is the right description for it, but the fact that she put herself out there, you know, first she was in the position cause she was a cop. So she could go undercover to see if all of this stuff was true or not. You know, she right. put herself at risk to, to prove yeah. that, you know, this guy was doing stuff that he wasn't supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah. And that takes real courage. You know, she knew what could happen. And she put herself right there in the line of fire in order to protect these women and other women to come along. So she's, you know, she's a hero in my book. Going back to talking about the earlier cases, you know, you mentioned the stories that happened in the 90s and even sooner. We've talked about the Me Too movement as well. And more importantly, mm-hmm. the fact that there's a hashtag in front of it. Do you think that social media has helped to to bring awareness to this? Oh, I think without a doubt. I think, um, and as times have progressed, and I, I think social media is a, is a big part of it. But I think our society, the way society is looking at this subject is very different than it was even five, ten years ago. You know, and I, I credit a lot of that to social media. Yeah, you can't get away with things nowadays. There's always somebody with every cell phone. Everybody's got a cell phone and every cell phone's got a camera. You know, you you can't get away with the same stuff that people used to get away with. And I think people are just have become more aware. There's plenty of negatives about social media, but I think that's one of the positives. And um, as a result, the way we look at this has changed. Because if you look through millennium about how women were treated, in, as far as sex crimes were concerned, um, I mean, even myself, I was raised by my parents. I was like, oh, you know, don't dress provocatively. You don't want to bring that kind of attention. You know, well, are men told this? You know, do they have to worry about how they're dressed because it might bring attention? Or, you know, there, there's like a different, there was a different uh, list of what was right and wrong for women to do. And if women were wrongly attacked and took it to the police, and it went to court quite often. The woman was shamed and made to feel responsible for what happened. But society's view on this has shifted, and it's about time. No, and I I do agree with that. You know, it's I'm a, I'm only in my early 30s, but I can tell from just what I've seen from you know when I was in high school to college and even to now, society looks at I'd say minorities and women. In a very different way, I think people are treated, you know, much more equal than than what they were back in the day. And I, I think there's still work to be done, but things are going in the right direction. You know, I can throw out examples of, you know, like the main character in the new Star Wars trilogy being a female. You know, a lot of strong characters are women. And it's, to me now, it's getting to the point where, it's not just that it's someone for women to look up to, 
but it doesn't matter what gender they are or what race they are. It's someone that people can look up to. Exactly. Well, look at how many female political figures we have now. I mean, I'm certainly of an age where, you know, the first woman uh, that ran for any kind of really big public office, you know, that was news, you know, that a woman was going to do that. And um, I mean, we've come a long way. You know, we, we aren't entirely there, as you said, but things have really changed. It's shifted and and hopefully it will continue to be so because the right person for the I mean, the best person for a job should be the one that gets it, whatever that job is. You know, no matter what ethnicity they are, no matter what their sexual preferences are, no matter what sex they are, it should be the best person for the job. We need to be treated equally. And that also means that when we are assaulted, when we are a victim of a crime, we should be listened to and treated in the same manner. And you shouldn't be afraid to come forward if something bad happens to you. No, no. But I think... And a perfect example of that I give is, you know, when the Catholic Church was being, you know, with all these priests that abused little boys from like 30 years ago. Right. Nobody said, nobody said, hey, why did you wait 30 years to talk about it? Can you prove that it happened 30 years ago? Yet people still will say that to women. What is the difference? Why does this woman have to prove what happened to her 30 years ago? Or as men don't. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I, I tell people because, you know, I, I've told a couple of coworkers about, you know, this interview that that I was going to be doing with you. And I brought up that the ultimate goal is for everyone, regardless of gender, age, race, religion, beliefs, whatever you want to call it, that everyone should be treated equally. Correct. And that's. And I think, you know, the, this documentary really raises awareness of that. And, I, you know, one of the last things I wanted to ask you is, what do you hope the legacy of Rocking the Couch is? Well, I hope, as you said, I hope it's shed a light on these things. I hope it will help to prevent these things from happening in the future. You know, I hope it's also a bit of a cautionary tale for people that want to come to be in the entertainment industry about things you should or should not do and, and what can happen. I hope all those things, but you know what I really hope and dream is because of the me too movement, maybe, maybe a bit because of my documentary that my little girl who's about to turn 15 doesn't have to worry so much about these things anymore and knows that God forbid, if something happens, she will be treated correctly and she can have justice. No, absolutely. That's that's a good goal to have. And the last thing I wanted to ask, uh, where can people watch Rocking the Couch if they want to check it out? And is there a website for it? Um, yes, there's a, a website. I mean, what actually, I don't even, yeah, there is a website, Rocking the Couch. There's a Facebook page. Um, and, but the main thing is you can go to Amazon Prime and watch it. And if you're not a Prime member, you can buy it or rent it from Amazon. So Amazon Prime is the place to catch it. And... Do you have any acting projects coming up that you would want to plug really quick? Well, actually, I am also currently on a series that's on Amazon Prime called The Bay. Um, I'm not in the first three seasons. I just came on in the last one, which is season four. So um, hopefully people can catch that as well. 
Awesome. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about Rocking the Couch. Uh, I It was very mind-blowing for me watching it, you know, knowing a lot that I know now from watching it. And I think everyone should should definitely check it out. It's not it's not a very pretty story by any means, but I, I think it's told in, in a very, very good way. So I, I would give it my full endorsement. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's been lovely talking to you. My thanks again to Andrea Evans for taking the time to come on the show to talk about Rocking the Couch. As I said before, and as we said in the interview, very powerful documentary. You should definitely check it out on Amazon Prime. Look it up on Facebook, all forms of social media. But next week is part one of the two-part season finale of the Derek Diamond Experience. Or if you want to see both, you can tune in to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast to watch parts one and two of the the behind-the-scenes look of my short film, The Parker Syndrome. Uh, One part will feature the cast, and what's cool is the entire cast is actually going to be on the panel, which is really exciting. I know when it comes to planning these types of podcasts where you have a lot of people, it's really tough to pick a date that everyone can make it. So having the entire cast is, is really awesome. And I can't wait to, you know, hear because a lot of this stuff that's going to be asked, I don't know about, you know, and I'm not even hosting the panel. Julio Diaz is going to be doing that. I'm not 100 percent sure what he's going to talk about. I've told him that he's got pretty much free reign to discuss whatever he wants. I've sent him, you know, the rough cut of the film so he can check it out. And I'm going to be a guest just like, you know, the other cast members. And we're also going to be doing a second episode highlighting some of the crew members talking about more of the technical aspect of the film, you know, getting crew together, what it was like on set. Um, I'll go through some of the editing process and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for it. And when I relaunched the show back in January, I knew that I wanted this season finale to be highlighting my film. And that might be a little pretentious and selfish of me, but Hey, it's my show, right? So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I I can't wait um, if you want to see both parts. So part one will air at 6 p.m. Central Time on Facebook Live. And then part two will air at either 7.30 or about half an hour after part one ends. So say if part one goes like an hour and 10 minutes, then part two will air at 7.40, so on and so forth. So... um, You'll get two episodes. Uh, As far as the audio versions, I'll be releasing part one next week and then part two the following week. And then I will be going on break for the rest of the summer. Not entirely sure when I'm going to be back yet. It really depends on, you know, if the Blue Wahoos end up making the playoffs, which if they keep playing the way they are now, they're going to, which means that baseball will extend into September. So it's pretty much whenever baseball is completely finished is when I'll be coming back. And I'll have hopefully a few episodes in the can already at that point. And I might tweak the format a little bit. It's still going to be very much film-based, but I am toying around with the idea of adding some new elements to it that I'll get into uh, whenever I do my last show for the season. But I'll stop rambling. Uh, If you want to check me out on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. You can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, all podcasting platforms. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. 
And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Andrea Evans. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys on Saturday for the Parker Syndrome.